0: To the truth in this art, I am your host, Rob Lee, the exquisite Rob Lee, not not regular Rob Lee. This is bonus level Rob Lee. Today, I have the privilege of being in studio, in home, with today's guest, an entrepreneur, curator, creative professional. Please welcome Angela Wheeler. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. I'm so glad you're here with me
0: today (laughs) in my home. Yes. And i'm I'm deluxe Rob, just deluxe Rob, just you know. <laughs> so um so so thank you for making the time and thank you for um in, inviting me into your your humble abode and I want to start off with you know, I got the bullet points, right mm-hmm. you know usually that kind of cut and paste intro, but I want to have you introduce yourself, your background, and really what about your work continues to fascinate you so let's let's kind of start off there in a really general sort of way.
1: Thanks so much Rob for those questions. Um, yes, yeah, so I come from a long line of artists and if if you want me to, I could chart this back to eight generations wow. because we have a family genealogist that has done some amazing work in our family. <laughs> so I can go back to my first forebear, right? Sure. That was enslaved by a prominent family in New York called the Livingstons. And Christiana Williams, who is my great, great, great grandmother, Uh, was a daughter of Philip Henry Livingston, whose father was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. So, Christiana, she was an expert seamstress who was known for introducing ruffles on shirts and sleeves, worn on some of the models at the very first New York Fashion Weeks.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: My art uh, gene goes back that far, (laughs) my creative gene goes back that far. So that's that's part of my background if you want to go eight generations back, but then, you know, closer into my history is my great aunt, Laura Wheeler Waring, and she was a Harlem Renaissance painter. And you'll notice um, over there, there's a portrait of my father at nine years old on his father's knee. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was done in 1935. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, Laura Wheeler Waring is kind of amused because not only was she an exquisite Harlem Renaissance painter, she wanted to paint black people of note mm-hmm. so the rest of the world could see the excellence in our race. And so her friends were like Marian Anderson and George Washington Carver and Jesse Redmond Fawcett, the poet, and many others who sat for her. And then she painted the family. So I have wow. this, this lovely portrait It's by beautiful. Her. Yes. So in her life, you know, she went on to become uh, the founding music and art director for the first HBCU in the country, which is Cheney State College. It, then it was a teacher's college. Wow. Yeah. So, so this is where the art in my life yeah. kind of intersects with my, my whole um, being. Yeah. And then I have a uh, cousin, Madeline Rabb, who graduated from Micah the year I was born, which was a long time ago. Let's just say half a century or more. <laughs> and she became, you know, art director for the city of Chicago, and she stores rare photos for, um, you know, famous pho- photographers, and um, she's an artist in her own right. So these stories of women artists in my family from the time of slavery until now are inspiring and compelling to me personally. And they're also a reminder of, you know, some of the atrocities and inequities that have happened with black women, two black women in particular. Right. And that that they've suffered in American history. At the hands of you know white supremacy so i i focus on providing support to nonprofit executives and arts and cultural institutions yep. many many of whom are women and black women so that's where i get my passion for art and helping others
0: that's that's great and it's great to to have to have that resource and have that kind of like champion out there to help because really eh, when you see a few of them, it's like, all right, there should be more. Mm-hmm. And so so hearing that that's like, it's a lineage there of being, as as I've just thrown around where we were initially talking, like, you know, dope ass women, but, <laughs> but but being one and kind of carrying that into the work that yet you're doing, it's, it's really great.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I'd like to answer that other please. question about what fascinates me, what continues to fascinate you yeah, me. Yeah, please. And, you know, while I enjoy art making and... Please know that I believe all of us have some unique, powerful story in our lineage. I'm just fortunate enough to know what mine is. Um, So I'm grateful for that. (laughs) But I don't see myself as particularly special, you know. Um, But while I enjoy art making, I'm I'm also passionate about the business of art. And so what's fascinating about my work is the number of leaders in the nonprofit arts field that could use a skill set For enhancing their operations, right? So this is the functional areas of marketing and promotions and fundraising and human resources. It seems to be a tough area for many executives who lead arts and cultural institutions to get their minds around. And the nonprofit sector is full of this type of individual an individual that has a big heart, so they're mission rich, but they're management poor. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so I just endeavor to improve the outcomes that lead to success in all these areas, especially for Black women leaders yeah. in the arts.
0: Yeah, yeah and I, I think like part of it is in, in, in the arts. At least I think, from my vantage point, like when arts and business starts to blend, it's it's kind of exposing this lack of access to it. And it's like, oh, hmm, you don't know about that. You don't, you don't have a portfolio. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. How do you put that together? Oh, you've never had a meeting. So you, you see more of this, these, these, these cohorts, these different things that are related to, to impact and helping people kind of fill in those gaps. That's, at least that's what I see in a vantage point where, where I'm at and some of the things that are coming my way. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm noticing.
1: Right, right. So the bottom line for me is, you know, just enriching the careers and the mission and outcomes for the regions, arts administrators of color. That's important to me. Yeah. And it it remains fascinating to me just like how just a touch of discipline in these functional areas leads to quantum outcomes, like improved outcomes can make a major difference for getting resources to fund their mission and, um, you know, just make key moves that bring an organization forward to help more people. So I started a business to to, um, do just that. A. Wheeler Consulting was established in 2016, and I've helped plenty of uh, arts organizations in Baltimore, including the Peel Museum, which is the first purpose-built museum in America right here in Baltimore. It's a little-known fact. It's a fun (laughs) fact. Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance, the Reginald F. Lewis Museum, and the Banneker Douglas Museum in Annapolis were a few of my my clients.
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, I know of all of those. Yes, all of those. And, of
1: course, Micah. Micah was a client, too.
0: Big shout-out to Micah, which we'll be talking about a little bit later, I think. Uh Uh-huh. So, you you ready to go to the next?
1: Uh, Sure. Yeah, let's do it.
0: So, I read that your background was in publishing before going into the nonprofit fundraising sector. Tell me more about your publishing career. What prompted that change?
1: Well, I started out as a social worker, which has very little to do with publishing. But it was a human service field, and I saw myself as somebody who wanted to give back to society. And so I did what my father did. He was a social worker. And I launched that little career, short-lived, in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, not a nine month career, and then I moved to Baltimore, <laughs> and I worked for a publisher, Tyrone Tabor, and I needed a job right. And I connected to my cousin Billy Murphy. A lot of people know him here in Baltimore, and he knew Tyrone. They shared an office together, and uh, he was looking for somebody to sell advertising space. So I went into publishing that way, not knowing where it would take me. Um, the common thread between social work and publishing and fundraising, is that they all had a non-profit spin, a, a community service element to them. Sure. So the publications I was selling advertising space in for Tyrone helped uh, provide career advice to African-American okay. STEM students yeah. who wanted to get into corporate America. Yeah. And then from there I went to Science Magazine and sold advertising space. And, the National Society of Black Engineers. I became their publisher for five titles that they produced. Really? Yeah. Nice. And then I have my own magazine called Who Cares? The Toolkit for Social Change. And that was all about social entrepreneurship.
0: Which is a term that we hear a lot more now. Yes. Uh, you, were, you were in it early, though.
1: I was in it very early in, uh-huh. in the, the 1990s.
0: Yeah, there there's a magazine question I got for you later that I think you might enjoy. I I think we I think we watch some of the same shows, I'll just put it that way.
1: That's possible. Uh, I'd be interested to hear what you're watching.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. Um so I read that Project Sync Sing- Incorporating greater equity and inclusion particularly with african-americans is your focus and you, you've touched on it um, earlier when We were kind of describing it. it's like that's the through line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there a particular activity uh, in your work like over, you know, your, your time in, 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 in being involved that Particularly has like fond memories like mm-hmm. I remember doing this thing. This was this is great or Yeah, tell me me about that.
1: That's an easy one, Rob. Okay. So I worked at the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra.
0: B.S.O. (laughs) The
1: B.S.O. And, uh, of course, that's a cultural anchor here in the city. And uh, they were having trouble attracting new audiences. You know, the city demographic is 65% African-American. But that demographic was not sitting in the seats in the hall. And uh, the B.S.O. knew that it needed to, you know, reach broader audiences. And we came up with an idea to feature a African-American orchestra under the leadership of Darren Atwater, who is the composer and founder,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to have concerts on stage um, of uh, African-American orchestral musicians, symphonic musicians. There's only 2% African-American symphonic musicians in the country. It's a small number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he was able to... Like create this display on stage of people of color who were playing, you know, symphonic instruments, about eighty strong. Nice. Yeah, and and chorus with chorus. So the Morgan State University chorus uh, came to perform with Soulful Symphony.
0: Go Bears! Yeah. And they had a
1: <laughs> they had an interesting um, genre, which was combining blues, jazz, and symphonic music for orchestra and chorus. Oh. And great headliners that would come as guest artists, like. Uh, Mesa Leek,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: from formerly from Incognito, yeah. right? Uh, Wynton Marsalis, and of course, you know that Morgan State Choir—they're they, known worldwide. Yes. So what happened was in the Symphonic Hall, um, the audience was ninety percent African American. I don't think that ever happened before, and uh, it was like a Harlem Renaissance, twenty-first century style at the BSO, and that effort. One night led to, eventually, a three-year concert series.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: with four concerts per year. And then that model went to the Hippodrome for another three years. It was exciting because I got to combine all those energies that I love, the social, the cultural, the food and the drinks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Um, I'll tell you about it off mic. I have a little thing that I'm looking at that kind of... It has it had some similarities there, in just being able to combine like passions together. And it's like I I help with this. I did this. Or this is an idea that was here, almost like uh, chasing a whimsy. Mm-hmm. It's like that's real now, and it has to have some fondness there. It's like no, just from here to here, right? right musically. <laughs> So, you know, there's the, there's the Micah connection, right, as you we were talking about earlier. And i read that Micah's mission uh, is to make the world we imagine can be a grand pursuit. So how do you check in with yourself regarding like impact? And how do you rein things in when a goal um, becomes maybe a little too big or have you? Because we all have grand desires. True. We all want to f- save the world. True. You know, make the better mousetrap. I don't know. Uh, we all want to do these, these really grand things so sometimes it's like you need to check back in and make sure you're on that path or make sure that that goal doesn't maybe need to be revised. So, so tell me about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's a tough question because I tend to want to go for the the big idea and, and go until I can't anymore. <laughs> but training other leaders to learn how to step back and reflect and... Um, be more strategic in their thinking and actions is what I'm about today. So sure. I don't run myself ragged. I call this that nonprofititis. <laughs> well, you'll do anything to get the job done, even if it's a crazy thing.
0: I'll get rid of a leg. Do more with less. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. And I
1: did it, and I saved the world. That's a mentality we have yeah. in nonprofit. But I've learned that um, a more critical and strategic approach, at the end of the day, works better than all my hard work in vain Mm -hmm. so I just try to take big goals and bite-sized pieces and that tends to work for me and I remind myself sometimes that just helping one person through my work is enough and that that one person could change the course of history yes also I believe too that you know creativity here in Baltimore is one of the city's greatest traits and Micah is leveraging all those resources of this artistic community to develop the greatest innovators of our time and we have you know Amy Sherrill to point to and Jarell Gibbs and then some others that haven't made it into the worldwide mainstream media that are doing powerful work now I think Baltimore is probably the hotbed for from which all creative black creative talent will spring but the rest of the world doesn't know it yet
0: yeah and I think one of the one of the chief things that I try to accomplish with this podcast is yo, you should know about this. Like, why don't you know about this yet? What are you doing?
1: (laughs) Right. Rob, we are aligned.
0: (laughs) And that's, and that's, I think that's really, really big. And and it's a thing that in a concerted effort to shift it, like we hear so much about all these other things that sure, they're parts of any city, but uh, the, the creativity that's here, the concentrated creativity that's here, like, We don't talk about that nearly enough until someone crosses over and and in that mainstream kind of conversation. But it's a lot of people here that are doing just great stuff from various walks of life. Very strong DIY community here. Micah is like one of the best, if not the soft schools that I am aware of, Mm -hmm. and it's just concentrated, but it's not talked about nearly enough. And there should be more stuff coming out of here. Hopefully, conversations like this help, help with that.
1: Absolutely, you know, uh, Joy Scott is a MICA grad. Yeah, yeah, and my friend Valerie Maynard, yeah. who's a wonderful sculptor and printmaker, is is she got an honorary doctorate degree from MICA last year. So, more Black women artists from MICA absolutely are coming to the fore.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so. I want to I go into this one. I'm, I'm going to skip the next one because, you know, we like to have, we like to have structure here. We're going to skip this next one. Uh, I'm going to go to this, this one about navigating and traveling, which I think is interesting. So how do you navigate when you're traveling to a new city? Because I always like to hear when it, what a creative has to say about this. Um, what are you looking to spend time doing and what are you observing when you go to a new city? Mm. How do you get that temperature?
1: Good, good question. You know, I'm totally in my artist mode when I travel. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in another city and I'm approaching it with a very loose plan. So where I'm, where I'm very focused at my work, I have an MBA in project management. So I love to tick and tie spreadsheets <laughs> and look at, you know, uh, efforts to outcomes and all that stuff. But when I'm traveling and on vacation and I have free time, I am a total creative. So I observe what like, right now. Um, now that it's spring, just buds blooming on the trees, young people in love and in like people yeah. taking selfies, how people live in and outside their neighborhoods. And it's just amazing what people can do to survive. Like uh, I say, creativity is what happens in the absence of options. Mm. So I like it, <laughs> thank you. So you know, for example, you take a look at a homeless person in New York city. And I just came back from New York last week and what people do to eke out an existence on the street is creativity you know in the absence of options they're figuring out how to survive or even what an art student can produce in their apartment during covid when they can't come to campus and use the studio is demonstrating true creativity Mm -hmm. so i'm also observing um people's behaviors as well as objects and wildlife and insects I find very interesting, (laughs) and the opera that is the ocean, that (laughs) is one of my favorite places to be near. But when, you know, when I'm touching down in a city, just to get back to your question, um, Google Maps, (laughs) (laughs) a Google translator if I'm in another country, Um, and I realize that in another country, the conversation isn't always verbal you know there's so much that's being said through eye contact and um nonverbal communication if i know the language enough my broken spanish my broken french i can still get around mm-hmm. and it's it's nice to connect to people that way um i also ask people what what do you do you know people that i know that might be in that city um, what what's your opinion what's hot and what's not yeah. and i've enjoyed mexico st croix and new york city this way most recently
0: yeah, I um, I look for where where is coffee? That's that's the first thing that it's like, yo, where's the coffee? And then you know, where's the neighborhood? Like where where like because I know that the that the food quality is going to be fire. I know that the service is going to be on point. It's like, oh, it's very clean here, great. And then you go two block. Oh, oh, oh. So that got it. Someone's going to hang over here, great. And that, but I will say the last time I traveled, and I have some travel coming up. I went to Rhode Island mm-hmm. and. I just naturally, my, my radar just put me in that area, and I was like, oh, yeah, it still works. You're in a new city, it still works. The telltale signs are there. And um, in that week, there's this um, small chain of coffee shops, and it was three of them. In different parts of this part of uh, Providence, I was I hit each one of them more than once in that week. And I was like, all right. All right, Rob, you've been here a little too long, <laughs> you got it Um. here. So recently I read that creativity is now as important as literacy in terms of education. Aside from your work, how has creativity served you?
1: Well, you know, I'm going to go back to your early question about what I'm observing.
0: Yeah, please. Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, I'm currently in a drawing class at MICA. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that requires me to look at a single object under a light to see all the various tones that that object creates from the light. And it involves quite a bit of concentration, right? And you see the gray and you see the black and you see what's between the gray and the black and the white spaces and the opaque spaces. I mean, it's a lot to look at. And I wouldn't be this critical unless I was in an art class and asked to do this. And so the outcome is, is that I can see more pointedly than when I casually observe something. And I bring that into my world even after the art class. So I'm focusing on my powers of observation and so this translates into being able to think about life and situations from various angles Hmm. to find elegant solutions so for me an elegant solution is one that addresses multiple competing issues Hmm. so for example I took care of my aging mother with my brother and sister and um, that could be a rodeo in itself. Right. And if I ever needed creative solutions, it was then. So I'm thankful for that creative mindset that art has helped me to develop.
0: Yeah, thank, you, thank you for for making that. That, that actually is that's great. Um, I, I I look at um, kind of what I'm going to juggle all of the thousand things that we were talking about before we got started that I'm trying to do and being a data analyst in the day job helps me devise systems on how to get this done and That the creativity serves that cause it's like, oh, I never thought about doing it that way Now I'm gonna try it this way because this is what I'm trying to achieve Yeah, that might be not that might not be the way that you're doing it, But that's the way that I'm gonna do it and it's just like a cycle for me.
1: Yes Absolutely
0: So I got a I got a couple more questions Um before I get to those rapid-fire questions, because you're not escaping the rapid-fire questions. Everyone gets the rapid-fire questions. Uh, so from a strategic communication standpoint, uh, how have you heard Baltimore described in regards to arts and culture? I know we kind of pointed to this a little bit, that it's not a lot of conversation out there um, until like someone hits that mainstream side of things. Um, so as a person with, with ties here, how do you describe these? So what have you heard and how do you really describe it? Like, what is the the real, like, this is how I feel about it. And this is how I've heard it described, um, Baltimore's arts and culture scene.
1: Mm-hmm. I've heard it described, you know, that the scene here has a lot of promise. Um, I think it's already here. Uh, potential means we haven't done it yet. Promise, mm-hmm. same thing. Um, I think we're doing it and it's I'm in places and spaces with people that make that real for me. Sure. So I think what you're doing with your podcast gets those messages out more widely to the public, which is a huge community service so others can begin to see a different way about Baltimore's arts and cultural scene. It's important. And as I said before, you know, the creativity here is, you know, on and popping. There's so many (laughs) amazing artists here um, that are doing great work. So, Artscape, right? That has been a landmark event for Baltimore for many years. In fact, we were in, I believe, um, U.S. News and World Report as one of the top arts and cultural events in the country and noted as the largest. So with that kind of publicity, it brings people to the city Mm -hmm. and we can share this idea of all the wonderful talent that we have in our arts and cultural scene. So I hope it comes back in full form.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's that's the thing that I really want to see. And I think that, you know, being here, it's like, you have to go to it. You have to at least pop over briefly. And I remember at a point, I just wasn't as dipped and baked into it and not really knowing a lot of creatives. I was like, I was just kind of doing my own thing and almost taking it for granted. It's like, it'll always be there. And then with the the pandemic and it not being there, it's like, okay, I'm looking for Artscape. Where's Artscape? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So these, these last this this next one is a real quick one, and then they have like the, the real one to kind of bring everything home or what have you. Uh, what's a telltale sign from your standpoint? What's a telltale sign for determining someone's character?
1: Hmm. I like to believe what people do more than what they say. Mm-hmm. I have a good friend. He says, "I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day." <laughs> that's kind of me. Yeah. <laughs> that's how. That's how I feel. I can tell. How a person behaves by their behavior. Yeah. So I'd rather see see them behave and have them tell me who they are.
0: It's not the public relations piece, you know? It's like, yeah, this is the type of person I am. It's like, you keep doing the opposite, though. <laughs> right. uh, you said you're a vegetarian. You are eating a steak. That is a steak, fully. <laughs> it might be a character issue. Also, humility is a wonderful trait. As well. mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not I'm not. I have no humility. I'm not humble. Got nothing. It's just never lost. I've never lost. Always win. No. <laughs> <It's> stupid. <laughs> uh, lastly, um, and because because you know, I think we we've had a few camp conversations before this one. And I thought this one would be very apt for you, for you, um, and and for me because I have a little background in nonprofit as well. How how do we fit blackness into the nonprofit infrastructure?
1: Wow, that's an interesting question, Rob. Uh,
0: I mean, I mean, I'm I'm a black man. I've worked in non-profit for a little bit, so I I, I guess um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. What what are your thoughts on that?
1: Mm, can you ask it a different way? Mm,
0: how would I ask it a different way? You mm.
1: Thinking about black people in nonprofit.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's more close to it. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Well, first we have to begin to uh, go where black people are in okay. our recruiting practices. Yeah. And um, create job descriptions that will uh, meet the interests of the candidates we're seeking to employ.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then once before a candidate gets in the door or that new hire, we have to have systems and infrastructure that supports their success. So that when they come in, they're not set up to fail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And administrations are saying, we just don't have any qualified black people. Mm-hmm. Maybe the origin story is in the way organizations are run and how they accept diversity, equity, and inclusion within their organizations.
0: Yes. Uh That's great because you you hear, um, I think of like the NFL, right? It's like, oh, we have the Rooney rule, we have this, we have that. And it's like, yeah, we couldn't find any like black candidates. It's like, you you sure? It's like NFL players retire, right? It's, all right, cool, cool. And um, it it has to be baked into, it It has to be an effort, it has to be a concerted effort. And just to kind of level things out, I think, and... I think that can happen in various areas that didn't feel as inclusive of people that look like you and I.
1: Absolutely.
0: At least that's my my, my take on it. Yeah. So thank you for everything. It's and been a pleasure. Yeah. So all the goodwill, right? That I've established in the last time we've been talking, I'm going to get rid of all of it now with some of these rapid fire questions. Uh oh. So yeah, hope you. I hope you're ready. I'm ready. Hope you're ready. All right. Far so,
1: away, Rob.
0: I got five of them for you. Um. Actually, no, I got no, I got four. I got four. I'm, yeah, I got four. So, uh, I'm gonna start off with this one. This would be a softball for you. Um, favorite fictional magazine. Flavor or Runway, which is from the Double Wear's product. Runway. Okay. I was hoping you were gonna go with flavor because I thought we watched the same shows. You you know where that's from, right?
1: I'm a little older, so. But that's that's. (laughs) I I know right on magazine. That's from living single. You ever heard of
0: that? That's from living single. That was that was magazine. Um, when, and I think this ties back into earlier. Uh, was there a particular moment, and if so, just like describe it when. You found that vocation, that calling. It's like this is what I know I want to do. This is the realm I know I want to work within. So, I guess for me, I've I mentioned this on the podcast before. Someone helped me realize it recently. Mm-hmm. Like as a kid, like it's like five. I was on stage, like being an MC. Mm-hmm. And as I think about that now, I'm terrified of that notion of being on stage now. Introducing blah blah. Then at five, not knowing any better, I was like, huh, I was already going to do this, wasn't I? <laughs> so I, I guess, like, coming to that realization that this is something that I continue doing and I continue enjoying and, and, and loving, um, I realize it's, it's, it's a calling, it's a vocation, and it's a heavy weighty word. So within the, the work that you're doing, that's aligned to just helping people get to where they need to be at. Mm-hmm and helping people get access, ultimately, is the way that I was hearing it. Um, when did you arrive to that? Or was there, were there something that really stuck? I was like, yeah, I'm doing the right thing.
1: Well, you know, it came it came kind of late for me. Back to your earlier question about the magazine publishing, I felt like I needed to be more in a direct service role with people, Sure. Um, but the social worker piece, um, it was too much paperwork and people don't move quickly and I wanted to see more um, action and completion and I went into the business side of nonprofit to be able to do that. So the fundraising piece lets me meet people who are being served by my fundraising and I can actually see their lives improve when they have resources. So that, that, that's where I ended up getting to but it, I was a late bloomer. I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do. I kind of fell into it. I lived my way into the answer. Um, I did have a mentor at one point when I was running my publication in D.C., who cares, um, who saw my talent for grant writing and working with people, and she said, you know, you you could do anything. You may want to look into, um, you know, professional fundraising. Mm-hmm. And I did, and that's where I've stayed. Yeah, her name was Lisa Sullivan.
0: That's great. It's great. Um, I remember uh, when I was at a Morgan, you know, shout out to the Bears. Uh, I, I did this. Um, it was this like uh, job fair. And I remember someone came to me it was a person from, um, I'm, I'm blanking on the lady's name, unfortunately, but she worked at, uh, at Verizon. And I was ultimately where my first job would be at. And she just like looked at me. She was like, you're a marketing person. And I was like, hi my name is Rob like she didn't know me from anything but just based on how I presented myself how I came in there and I guess because I'm 6'4 and I read something about marketing people being tall I guess I don't know at least at that time and she was like no you're a marketing person just off the rip and I was like sure that's what I'm gonna drive at and and having and I suppose like what I do in this podcast, it has some of those elements of like, eh, I'm going to help Baltimore get marketed a little bit better, help promote Baltimore a little bit better. Um, so here's here's the last two. And like I said, one of them is ridiculous. Uh, what's your favorite
1: book? I like Memoirs of a Geisha. It was a, written a while back, mm-hmm. but it stays with me. It's such a beautiful, poignant story told well and it's from a woman you know the main protagonist is a woman a geisha mm-hmm. but the book is written by a man and i thought that that was pretty interesting Yeah, that this author could tap into that kind of sensitivity and write these beautiful pages so that that's one of my favorite fiction books Let's go. And i do read a lot of self-help too that's Key for me.
0: And okay, we got to trade some self help notes then. Yes,
1: yeah, that's, uh, that's my go to. I <laughs> uh, rather read self help.
0: <laughs> I put on Audible and I go to sleep listening to someone do uh, a Dale Carnegie impersonation. Right. So right. great. So it's, 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 I got to sleep the better things. It's just I have white dudes talking to me when I'm sleeping. Uh, so this is the last one I got for you. Um, because I care. Crunchy or smooth or creamy peanut butter? Which one are you going with?
1: This is weird. Okay, I was in the grocery store last night. Mm. I wanted peanut butter. I haven't purchased peanut butter in six months, and I really wanted crunchy, but I picked up smooth hmm. because I felt crunchy was going to get in the way of my experience. <laughs> and I debated that. And this is your question <laughs> at twelve twenty-five <1225 Yeah>, yeah. <laughs> on Friday. Uh huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, peanut butter is a political topic for some people, and so so you're so if you're between so you you can you can kind of go both ways whether with the crunchy or peanut butter depending on what the experience is going to look like so within that experience this is a sub question uh, what is the jam preserve what is that situation that goes along with it does it vary based on the type of peanut butter
1: it does not oh. it does not but i like this four fruits okay do you know what i'm talking uh-huh. about uh-huh i do it's a french Kind of uh uh-huh. yeah uh huh preserve. It's
0: delicious. Man. It's
1: delicious <laughs> and my preference.
0: Yeah, I, I dig it. So that's pretty much it. Now that's everything. That's legitimately everything. So one, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. And two, I want to sh- encourage and invite you to um telephone folks where to check you out, your biz, all of that good stuff. Thank you so much, Absolutely. Rob. It's been a pleasure. Totally. So um any social media handles, anything you want to share with the folks?
1: Uh, let's see you can email me <laughs> <laughs> Angela Wheeler 49 at gmail.com
0: so there you have it folks I want to again thank Angela Wheeler for coming on to the podcast and I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art community, fundraising, everything just culture in and around Baltimore you just got to look for it